This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Space News Pod. It is the live version of the show. Thank you so much for everybody that's been liking the show. Everybody that's everybody, everyone, everyone, everybody that has given me stars. Thank you for the new fans. We have a bunch of new followers last night. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so cool. Today on the podcast, we will be talking about life in space. There's a new study out. There's a bunch of data that's free and open to the universe for anybody to use to explore yourself. The data sets from a recent uh, exploration mission that they were looking for life in space, basically. Uh, the Breakthrough Listen Project, Breakthrough Initiatives, did a comprehensive and sensitive search for radio techno signatures. And they came up with basically nothing. So they came up with basically nothing, but they did give the public all the data that they got from the, uh, from the study, right? So all of this stuff, all the data that they have, the millions of lines of code and stuff are available for everybody else to check out. So if they miss something, hopefully a, scientist, a public person who has love for this kind of thing will find something in their data set. And you can find all of that at breakthroughinitiatives.org. And that's the newest thing. Breakthrough Listen publishes most comprehensive and sensitive search for radio techno signatures ever performed. So check that out when you get a chance. That's just a a quick, a quick uh, glimpse into things to come. China also has a new space station. I went over this a little bit yesterday, a little bit, but I want to go over it again today, figure it all out so we have everything right. So China has nine new scientific experiments that are going to be aboard their new space station, which is scheduled to be completed in 2022. And the space station, the uh, China Man Space Agency, they selected the projects, which involve scientists from 17 nations, 42 hopefuls, and was a process organized with the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. 
the UNUSA. Pretty cool acronym. Some of these acronyms are kind of crazy. So um, this one's actually really easy to say. So thank you, United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs, for taking me on this journey of that acronym, because that is a really great one. It's easy to say. So this uh, new space station from China, they already have one up there right now. It's launched in 2016. And that one also hosts experiments. But this new space station will be huge compared to it. It'll be much bigger. It's, it's going to be about a quarter of the size of the International Space Station that's up there right now. And that's going to be launching in 2022. And on there, there's a, going to be nine experiments. Scientists working on these projects are from Russia, Japan, India, and Kenya, Mexico, and Peru. So everyone's cooperating with China, doing everything they can to get this science up there when they launch. There's going to be experiments from India uh, Russian Observatory called the Spectroscopic Investigations of Nebular Gas, the SING, the SING, which will map dust clouds and star forming regions of space using ultraviolet light. A group of European institutions will study how microgravity and radiation in space affect the mutation of DNA in human organoids. And you ask, what is an organoid? It sounds cool. Sounds kind of crazy. Uh, an organoid is a 3D biological structure that mimics organs. So it's close to an actual organ, but not quite. It's so they can do research on it. Hi, did they find the info? Oh, did you find the info on the moon? I forgot which one that was. I looked up some information about, um, where was this? NASA scientists find sun's history buried in the moon's crust. Was that the one? So I did some moon research today. And I didn't, I don't get a copy of the chat after we're done. So I remember talking about it, but I can't remember what we talked about. And I can't listen to the whole thing. And, you know, cause that would take a whole hour to listen to the whole thing and find it again. So if you could refresh my memory, I probably didn't, I probably forgot about it. <laughs> if it's not this, then I probably didn't get the right one. And I apologize. So I'm going to check this out too, real quick. So yeah, so China, let's go back to China, finish this up and then we can go back to that. Differences of crust. Could they have to do with the sun's thing? Hmm. We'll, we'll look at into that in a second here. The result of the special... Okay, so <clears throat> where were we here with the organoids? Oh, yeah, so an organoid is like a 3D structure, basically, of uh, kind of like a mimic of an actual organ. So they're going to be studying those and going to be studying the biological structures of those. Hey, Peter, how's it going, man? Um, and they'll be testing those all on the new space station. Crust is thicker on the... Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, crust is thicker on the other side. And there's also another detector called the Polar 2, which is a more powerful follow-up to a sensor launched on the current Chinese space station. 
and it's going to be studying uh, the polarization of energetic Y-ray bursts from distant cosmic phenomenon. Polar 2, which will be built by an international team, could allow astronomers to observe the weak radiation associated with sources of gravitational waves. Insane. So, what do you guys think about gravitational waves? Um, it's pretty crazy to think that our the fabric of the things that create this universe, like it's a, it's an actual thing. It's like a pond that we all live on. And when something goes boom, when you throw a pebble in a pond, that's basically what a gravitational wave is. That's what it looks like on the universe. So you throw a pebble in a giant pond and that ripple shoots out and then we get these gravitational waves through our little sensors. Uh, which, not little, but in comparison to the universe, they're tiny. They're giant in comparison to other sensors out there because they, they're miles and miles long. Right, and yeah, we have... Uh, yeah, that, that we can actually detect them is crazy. We don't even know what gravity... We don't even know, like, how does... How is gravity... <laughs> you know, like, how did that start? How did gravity start? We know it started because uh, the mass of an object creates a gravity well, but that's all we know. We're like, okay, gravity exists, that, and it does these things, but how is it a thing? What the F, dude? That's all I'm saying. Uh, but yeah, and that we can detect it, the gravitational waves, like that's crazy, 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 crazy. Um, so the near side and the far side of the moon, um, the near side or the far side is more rugged and has far fewer maria and the near side places has very thin crust. Okay. So I'm just looking into this real quick. These special features, the biggest indicator of disparity in crustal thickness is a two-kilometer offset between the moon's center of figure and its center of mass. This is typically attributed to a thicker crust on the far side of the moon, consistent with the observations of the different surfaces of the near side and far side. NASA discovered that the center of the figure and the center of mass are offset from one another in the 1960s, a simple act of observing how a probe orbits an object gives clues regarding the interior of that object. Scientists know, for example, that Mars has a partially molten core from observing the orbits of many probes that have been sent to Mars. That's pretty cool. I, you know, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know that. And that's why I do these things. Because I'm like, I'm blown away by the fact that, you know, that that's actually a thing. That, you know, planets aren't exactly a sphere. You know, and when you're a little kid, you see like a ball, right? You see like, okay, this is Saturn and it has a ring around it. And it's a perfect sphere. It's a perfect ball. And now you think, like, even if you get a pair of good uh, binoculars... You can look up at the moon and be like, hey, that's not perfect. <laughs> there's all sorts of craters. But when you're a kid, you look at the moon and you think, okay, there's craters up there. 
and you just see them as like pockmarks, you know, but then you look at it with a, um, with an actual pair of telescope or like a telescope or a pair of binoculars. And, um, you see like all the crust, you see everything, all the, all the marks and all the craters and it creates this really crazy, uh, looking planet right above the earth. And it's pretty close. Hey, thanks for that call, Stephen. I appreciate it. I'm going to do a call lens a little bit later. So, yeah. So anyway, speaking of the moon, um, I was talking about this earlier, but the breakthrough initiatives.org, if you want to check out their data set, you can, it's, it's part of SETI, um, you know, and they, there it's, they work with SETI and they basically look for needle in a haystack kind of thing. They look for life outside of our galaxy, inside of our galaxy. It was a butt dial. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Been there. I've done that a few times. So the whole thing with that data set, and I'll, I'll link you uh, the actual data set here one second. So let me link this into the chat. Let's check that out. And if you have a second to look through that data, which it's, kind of impressive you can go there's a drop down for a breakthrough listen at green bake and search for that all file types and then you'll get a ton ton of data and you can check it all out by date of course there's like 50 pages of data there's oh wait are there 50 100 per, yeah i think that's the one we want all projects and just search for the latest one there we go. Yeah, that's the best one. So anyway, they make their data sets available. Check it out. There's tons and tons of stuff on there. Um, I don't know if it's actually updated quite yet. They're going to make it available to everybody. Uh, there's a berkeley.edu. There we go. So here's the PDF. Just for all the nerds out there that want to actually read papers. Like myself, I'll read those papers and I'll go, okay, I don't know anything about this stuff. So that's that. Let's move on to um, another topic here. The next topic will be NASA scientists find sun's history buried in the moon's crust. Sun's rotation rate is in its uh, sun's rotation rate in its first billion years is unknown yet this spin rate affected solar eruptions influencing the evolution of life a team of nasa scientists think they figured out uh, by using the moon as critical evidence so the sun is why we're here it's also why other planets don't have life and when the sun was first born uh, you know, when it was a little baby, it had crazy outbursts and intense radiation, high energy clouds and particles that were spewing across the solar system. And through that, they helped seed life on early Earth by igniting chemical reaction that kept Earth warm and wet. Yet the solar bursts 
also have prevented life from emerging on other worlds by stripping them of the same things that gave us life. And NASA has a new study out for uh, this whole exploration, right? And they studied the moon because of it. I didn't do a lot of research on this topic, so I'm going to read some of NASA's paper. <clears throat> um, oh, one second. Life under the early sun. The rotation rate of the early sun is partly responsible for life on Earth. But for Venus and Mars, both rocky planets similar to Earth, it may have precluded it. Mercury, the closest planet to the sun, never had a chance. Burn up. Done for. Mercury's dead. Earth's atmosphere was once very different from the oxygen-dominated one we find today. And when Earth formed 4.6 billion years ago, a thin envelope of hydrogen and helium clung to our molten planet. But outbursts from the young sun stripped away that primordial haze within 200 million years. Oh, man, it is the thing that I get the most out of learning about science and about the big picture, the big universal topics is that we are absolutely nothing. Like we, we may be very special. We are very special because we're the only life that we know of. So that being said, we're very special and our planet is very special because it can harbor life. Now, because it does harbor life and because the sun has made that possible, and it, we have to, like we have to have a sun. And before it was oxygen, it was a bunch of other stuff. And the Earth's crust solidified, volcanoes gradually coughed up a new atmosphere, filling the air with carbon dioxide, water, and nitrogen. Over about a billion years, the earliest bacterial life consumed the carbon dioxide and in exchange released methane and oxygen into the atmosphere. Earth also developed a magnetic field, which helped protect it from the sun, allowing our atmosphere to transfer or transform into the oxygen and nitrogen rich air that we breathe today. So bacterial life, without bacteria, we wouldn't be humans. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be able to have life on this planet as we know it, because they consumed the carbon dioxide and they released oxygen, which we all breathe. Um, a senior Goddard heliophysicist and astrobiologist uh, named Vladimir, I don't know, I'm going to rip this name apart, eruption, something like that. I'm sorry, Vladimir. Uh, we were lucky that Earth's atmosphere survived the terrible times. That's what he said. Uh, and had our sun been a faster rotator, it would have erupted with solar flares 10 times stronger than any in recorded history, at least 10 times a day. Even Earth's magnetic field wouldn't have been enough to protect it, and the sun's blast would have decimated the atmosphere, reducing air pressure so much that Earth wouldn't retain uh, liquid water. So it could have been a much higher, a harsher environment instead of the nice one that we know now. We have this great environment. You walk outside every day. You breathe the fresh air. You see a tree. A tree is planted. There's grass. You know that the oxygen is coming, and you don't have to worry about it, unlike if you're on another planet, say if you go to Mars on a little journey there, or if you go to the moon, 
you know that if you get there, there's not going to be anything to breathe when you get to another planet. So lucky for us, our sun was there in just the right exact process to create the perfect environment for us to live, for life to be created. And a lot of people think, you know, hey, this couldn't have been an accident. This had to be divine intervention. Like, how do we have these things without, you know, a higher power that make these things possible? Could it be luck? Yeah, it could be luck. It's possible. Is it a higher power? We have no idea. We have no idea. Like, you can have all the faith you want, but when you get down to it, um, do you know if it's, you know, if that's what it is? You can feel it, and you know it in your heart. You know it in your head. But is it possible that it was just, just a whole huge stroke of luck? Thanks, Lysis, for the uh, likes. So if you think about that for a second, you could be as religious as you want, but this could be, this could all just be a huge fluke. The sun was rotating at the exact right speed. Everything was, that was ejected from the sun, shooting towards Earth, was stripping away the bad stuff. The bacteria was creating oxygen so that we could have more life. So it's possible, just possible that there was a plan, but there's also a possibility that, holy crap, this just happened. <laughs> like this, we're just lucky to be here. So that being said, um, take a couple seconds out of your day and make sure that everyone that you know and care for knows that you know and knows that you care for them every day. Just be like, Hey, what's up? Just be like, Hey, how's it going, buddy? You know, to your friends, to your family, to your loved ones, because it could all be a fluke. This could all just go away. So this could all just be a chance that you get for whatever, 70 years. And it didn't need to happen. If the sun was a little bit faster in the early times, we wouldn't be here. So, consider ourselves lucky that we're even here at all. Now let's get into some, uh, there's a lunar reconnaissance orbiter around the moon. Speaking of early solar system, the LRO has a 10 year anniversary, June 18th, which is yesterday, 10 years. Since the launch of the LRO, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it's contributed to lunar science and exploration, it has the largest volume of data ever collected by any planetary science mission ever done by any humans ever. So it is invaluable to the, to the study of the moon, but not only the moon, to our solar system and also to humans actually exploring the moon in the near future. Uh, 2024, if you're not aware is when 
the next woman, or the first woman, I should say, and the next man will be setting foot on the moon if NASA does everything properly. Um, so this Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter made a ton of science. They have a diverse suite of instruments aboard this. Um, they have a laser altimeter that shoots pulses of light about 28 times per second, which creates one of the most accurate topographic mass of maps of any celestial body anywhere. And it's measured the coldest known temperatures in the solar system on the moon's poles. It's very important because when we send people there, we need to know this information. We know we need this data in order for um, our people to survive when they get there. So the LRO, 10 years old, most space missions don't last 10 years. Some of them last, you know, three years and then they burn up or they fly off into space someplace. Uh, I believe that we were created without something consciously thinking I'm going to make life on earth, but I do believe we are one with the universe. I think so too, you know, and if you're having trouble sleeping at night and you think, okay, we're all alone, this is it existential crisis kind of thing. You got to think to yourself, you are not alone. Um, humanity as a species, uh, we have each other. And also when you're gone, you become part of what is everything, right? So you think about like, okay, so if, if you're dead and gone, whatever energy you have goes back into the earth, it escapes your body. You know, you get buried or cremated or whatever, whatever you were is an old thing. And whatever you become, that's just, it's part of the universe. Now we're already part of the universe and we just continue being part of the universe as we go forward. That's how I sleep at night. <laughs> I had the toughest time coming up with that. You know, when I was younger, I was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I don't need religion. I don't need any of that stuff. My mom and dad were pretty cool with it. Uh, so I had to make myself, you know, had to really come to grips with what's going to happen. And I was like, okay, so this is the, this is what I am. You know, like I'm just this thing and this thing has heart, mind, soul, whatever, whatever it is, consciousness. And when I'm done, that stuff becomes something else. Uh, and you become part of the earth after this, you become part of everything. You have a bigger meaning than what you are right now. So, um, yeah, I didn't want to go off on a tangent there <laughs> and let you guys have my secrets. Those are all my secret, my sneaky secrets to life. Uh, but think about that for a second. You'll become part of everything after you're gone. So everything you do here is super important. And you have about 70 years, maybe if you're lucky, you have 70 to 80 years to make your mark, to do good things for other people, to make people say, oh, that, that person was really cool. So go do that. Not cool as in like, I want to, you know, you're a cool, cool dude or, or a lady. You are a good person. Just be a good person every, to everybody else. Be nice to everybody. Uh, I, be, I become mother nature in the sense that you give life to millions of microorganisms, live on your body and your corpse. Yeah, exactly. So, I was, I, you know, I, and I was uh, interested about this when I started thinking about that. Like we have gut microbes, 
We have millions of things in our bellies right now, millions of things in our bodies. What happens to them when we're gone? I didn't do any research because I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure it exists, but I don't think anybody really researches it too much. Like what happens to our gut microbes when they don't have a gut to be part of? Um, I'm sure they could feed off something else because they're, they're using us right now to continue to live. So we're already part of a bunch of stuff. So that gives you sort of like a calming effect, I guess, if you want to think about everything as a whole. Um, so when we get up to the moon, we're going to need, yeah, they go out with feces and get eaten and create new colonies. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think everything that's in us now, you know, escapes and then, you know, those microbes hopefully can live off something else. Dude, Peter, think about that. What if we're all part of like this crazy being too? And that's the other, <laughs> like, what do you think about these things? And you, your mind gets blown. Yeah. And they're always, yeah, they're, they're like us, right? We're trying to find the next thing. We're trying to escape and get someplace else, but we can't like, there's things that stop us right? That stop us from going forward. And there's things that stop all the other gut bacteria and all the other bacteria in us and all the other microbes and things in us from getting someplace else. So until something happens, something catastrophic happens, something crazy and huge happens, we can't escape. So maybe we need something like that where we're just like, Oh, now we can get to, you know, Alpha Centauri now pretty quickly. Something happens to the universe, to our universe. It's a constant exchange of atoms and molecules. It's just a matter of time before some atom that was part of you and you exhale, it gets part of someone else. Yeah. Like we're breathing the same molecules as, you know, other people. They're famous people, possibly, you know, like Albert Einstein. What if we're breathing the same stuff as somebody else, you know, like some, some great person from history. It's possible. So, I mean, they just get, pushed around. They get changed around constantly. You are absolutely correct. Um, so as we go back to the moon, as we send people back to the moon, um, we have to have this data from the lunar reconnaissance orbiter to know for a fact where we want to put people down on the moon where we want to land people because we don't want it to be like the first moon landing. We were like, okay, we think this is cool, you know, but when we get there, we're like, Oh man, there's a bunch of boulders here. You know, this is, this is sketchy. We're going to, we might all just blow up and die. You know, we, we might crash onto the surface of the moon because we weren't really super prepared for landing on the moon. And, you know, similar to earth, Um, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't really change on earth that often, you know? So unless there's something catastrophic, like a flood or a hurricane or something like that, nothing really, the geography of the earth doesn't really change too, too much over the grand, you know, timeline of things. So that's kind of what happens with the moon, but moon is even 
like it just doesn't change. There's nothing that happens on the moon that can change things really. So the LRO has been mapping, meticulously mapping for the last 10 years, the surface of the moon and finding spots in this data set to land humans. Look for you to check out, oh cool, quantum particles that reform after decaying. What the heck? I'll check it out. That sounds cool. Discover inf infinite decay and rebirth in quantum park. In the quantum realm, it's like, man, who even thought of that? <laughs> like, that's the kind of stuff where you're like, holy crap, that exists? Things that are there but aren't there but are only there when you observe them, but then there's things that when you observe them, they leave? Like, they're what the heck? That's a whole other... That's a whole other thing. Yeah, so, and we'll get into that as some other, some other subject, but um, the whole quantum realm is absolutely insane. So when we did the first moon missions, it kind of brought everybody back together. You know, we... Um, we brought a lot of people along with us on that journey. You know, when you, when you send a human being into space and when you send a bunch of equipment into space, it's not like, it's not super cool anymore. You know, you can send people to the ISS. It's been done a million times, you know, 200 some odd people been to the ISS, I believe. Um, you send people into space and it's cool, but it's not like the first moon landing and you have to build the hype. So the original moon landing had a ton of hype behind it because it was the first time human beings set foot on another celestial body. Now, when we go back, they have to start building the hype. They're building the hype now because it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. NASA is building up, you know, this whole thing. Um, of thanks for those four likes, Paul. Um, it was a huge competition, you know, and right now we're not really in competition with anybody. You know, we sort of are in competition with China and they want to send people to the moon. Uh, but there's really no competition competition. It's really not scary. Like it used to be. We thought Russia was going to make a moon base and destroy the earth or destroy the United States from the moon. And they have the high ground, so to speak, the highest ground, if you will, in the war effort in the cold war. So, you know, if they if they were actually going to come, you know, what, if it was going to come to a war, Russia could launch an attack from the moon. That's what they thought. And that's possible in the future. I think, you know, we're going to start settling the moon soon. And I know I've been, I talk about the moon a lot, but it's in the, in the near future. I put on my sweatshirt. It's freaking chilly in here. Um, but it's in our near future. And we all should kind of think about that. Imagine if they did weaponize the moon, right? Yeah. If they did weaponize the moon, uh, we're sitting ducks. What if they launched a rocket with a nuclear weapon on it? That's what we thought. Actually, like there were some theories out there that Russia was going to launch a rocket with a nuclear rocket on it 
that would land on the moon and they'd be able to shoot that nuclear rocket back down to the United States and we wouldn't have it, like we couldn't do anything about it because we didn't have the technology to track things from the moon back to the earth back in the day. So when like those kind of things come into people's imaginations, they think that's not even real. Like that's stupid, (laughs) but that's what, that's how they, that's how they sold it though. That's how they sold the initial moon landings to, uh, to Congress. They were like, look, man, we're in this war. We got this thing going on and we need some money. So, and the other day I had somebody actually said he's going to unsubscribe to my podcast because, um, I mentioned that tongue in cheek that, uh, you know, maybe NASA should wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey, we need some money because it's scary up there again. Um, somebody actually wrote me a, a very nice um, email and said, hey, I'm going to unsubscribe because you said those things. And I said, okay, that's cool. I understand it. I, I thought it was pretty, uh, you know, a little knee jerky, but it's okay. Do your thing, man. <laughs> do you, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to play to anybody else. I do my thing. That's why I have a podcast. And it's also to spread, you know, the love of science and, you know, technology and space. Yeah, exactly. You can't please everyone. And it's just life, you know, whatever. Um, So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, So when we go back to the moon and we have a bunch of money to do that, which we don't have a lot of money. (laughs) I should have wrote an email on my joint. Also, you know, what's really what really helps the podcast in like no joke. And I'm just going to say this um, is that on iTunes, if you write a positive review on iTunes, like that really helps push the podcast up really helps people find it. Um, Also helps people when they're just finding it, that they'll, they'll be like, Oh, they'll be more optimistic about joining and listening to it because it has better uh, reviews. So who was responsible for the U S space program to the moon? Uh, Congress, NASA, the war effort, all of the above. JFK. Yeah. All it was a big collaborative off effort. Um, well, iTunes is not a thing anymore, really for podcasts. It's Apple podcasts on a, on an Apple device. So they kind of changed it. Uh, but yeah, JFK kind of pushed it through. He used, you know, a lot of the brains behind all of it. Um, I wouldn't say there's one person. It was definitely a collaborative effort. Um, Let me look a little bit. And see, Jamie pulled that up for me. I don't have a Jamie like Joe Rogan does, so uh, I have to just wing it. Project Apollo. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower administration uh, first conceived it during a three-man spacecraft to follow the one-man project Mercury, which put the first astronauts or Americans in space. Apollo was later dedicated to JFK's national goal of landing a moon on or landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth by the end of the sixties. Uh, let's see. 
the Apollo program, okay, was conceived during the Eisenhower administration. I'm just kind of going through it. Um, NASA manager Abe Silverstein, who later said, I was naming the spacecraft like I'd name my baby. That's where the name of Apollo came from. Uh, Silverstein chose the name at home one evening early in 1960 because he felt Apollo riding his chariot across the sun was appropriate to the grand scale of the proposed program. In July 1960, NASA Deputy Administrator Hugh Dryden announced the Apollo program to industry representatives as at a series of space task force or state space task group conferences. Preliminary specifications were laid out for a spacecraft with a mission module cabin separate from the command module, which is piloting and reentry cabin, and a propulsion and equipment module. So it's a few people. I don't think it's one person. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that. <laughs> we all know that about NASA. We had some uh, some shady characters in the early days of NASA. And there's all sorts of conspiracy theorists out there that, you know, that want to connect the dots, so to speak. But basically, it was like, look, man, you're good at this, and we need you to beat everybody else to the moon. So we're going to give you uh, freedom, and we're not going to charge you with anything. You come to NASA, you help us do that, and then, like, you get a cleaner slate. So, you know, there's no big conspiracy. Like people, people always think also like this: the moon landing conspiracists, conspiracists, the theory, the conspiracy theories. They also, they always think, you know, there's, there's something going on. There's always a higher power that's trying to keep the man down. And, uh, that's just not the case. You know, there were thousands of people working on these projects. And if you think about it, every one of those people had some insider information. They could have come forward by now and been like, yeah, it's all a hoax. But why would you like on your, on your deathbed? You're going to die tomorrow. And you could just say, oh, yeah, the moon landing was a hoax. I know. Where else should you have a dangerous enemy but in your pocket? Yeah, exactly. Like, you can watch over this guy. Exactly, man. Exactly. So all that moon conspiracy crap. You know, it's all it's all just hearsay. You know, everything that's bigger than people, there's always going to be a rumor about something. Think about this. That's how humans are. Right? That's how humans are. We like to gossip. People love to gossip. We like to make up stuff. It's part of human nature to make up things. It's like the game of telephone when you're a kid. So Susie says this to Jimmy. Jimmy says that to Billy. Billy says something completely different to the next person. So, yeah, just look at Facebook. <laughs> like, look at some people on Facebook. You can see it. And that's what it all started with. You know, like somebody was like, ooh, there, there was a Nazi? <laughs> like, there's a, na there's a Nazi 
in NASA, there's got to be a big conspiracy. No, there's not a big conspiracy. They needed that dude to send us to the moon. So that dude um, is going to work for us, or we're going to probably off him. <laughs> probably just going to like, oh, whatever. Be like, eh, we never knew who this guy was. And that's just how that works, too. So that's, you know, uh, Werner von Braun is who we're talking about. If people weren't, uh, weren't aware project paperclip. Um, I'm familiar. I'm not really into it that much, but, um, I'm not really into the whole specifics of it, but yeah, the, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole deal with that. It's kind of silly if you think about it because all the thousands of people that were working on these giant, giant rockets, stories tall, numerous stories tall. And, um, you know, one of those people could just say, you know what, man, there's a studio in Southern California. <laughs> we never went to the moon. You know, somebody would say that, but, and who, you know, and you couldn't fool that many people, you know, that are working for you at NASA. So it seems like a, it seems like a big deal. <laughs> the moon is flat. I wish, cause that would be an easy target. <laughs> there's no, you know, if there's no, uh, no roundness to it, you just shoot straight at it, right? You don't have to get an orbit. There's no orbit. If it's flat, really, it's a disc. <laughs> says shoot straight at it that's it don't have to worry about gravity wells or anything like that you just shoot at the disc so yeah the moon is flat the earth is flat uh you know just <laughs> it, it's not true learn science learn some science do some research and then Going forward, you know, you'll have a little bit of a bigger perspective on things. I'm not saying that people that have done the research and that people that are in these fields are, um, you know, above and beyond anybody who believes a different thing, but a belief is just a belief. It's not science. Anything has gravity. And when you get to a... Um, when you get to a certain point, the gravity crushes you and turns you into a sphere like Pluto. We were talking about Pluto yesterday. <laughs> What's Neil A. Beckers? <laughs> See, that's a good one too. People connect the dots. It's pretty funny. When you look at all that stuff, it's pretty funny. What do you, like if you actually like go down and I've gone, I've gone down the rabbit hole. I have, I've, I've went down the rabbit hole of people that think that the earth is flat. And what I've come to the conclusion of is that people that think the earth are flat, uh, that the earth is flat, um, don't really understand that the earth is large as well. And that over a distance, things can curve at a small pace. Um, and if you were to 
you know, a, a lot of the, the flat earth are kind of people. Thanks Connor for that for, um, the flat earth society and things like that. If you say, okay, man, I'll send you up in a spaceship. Um, and what, what will they say? You know, Hey man, I'll send you out into space. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you see, buddy. <laughs> well, it's all a hologram. It's all a, it's all a big conspiracy. Planet Earth can be seen or can be found all around the globe. I like how you said the globe, <laughs> the spherical globe. What's your view on AI? Oh, I love it. I love it, but it's also kind of terrifying. Right? So you, you have these robot things. I just throw a bottle into my bottle bin and uh, it's kind of bounced off the ground. Gravity, my friends. Gravity. That's what makes our globe a sphere. Um, so AI is terrifying, but also kind of amazing. Because when you get to a certain point where AI looks like humanity and it acts like humanity, and we don't know the difference, then that's when it's going to get scary. Because there's going to be robots that look like you and me, that do everything we do, act like us, and it's perfect. Like that kind of AI, that's what I'm talking about. The other AI, which kind of collects data and like figure stuff out, that's going to happen anyway. Like that's just the way that computing works. Artificial intelligence, artificial life, AI, like automatic driving cars, cars that drive themselves across the country, puts people out of work, puts truck drivers out of work because it's coming the next 10 years, man. It's coming. And the people that work in the truck industry, they're terrified. They know it's coming and they don't know what to do about it. They might need, like when the, when it first starts, they're going to need somebody in the cabin to do their thing. Right. So to, to make sure that everything's okay. And to, before lawmakers say that it's all right for us to have these driverless vehicles, they need to know that it's possible with a person in this cabin that this thing will make it to its destination 100% of the time. It won't crash and kill people. That's what's going to happen in the beginning. Um, only need a pilot to taxi to gates. That's possible, but we might not even need that eventually. Um, you know, planes fly themselves. Fly by wire is already a thing. You know, planes already know they GPS tracking, like they, they know where they are and they go to their destination. They know exactly what's going on. So, but yeah, planes right now, it's just the pilot, the pilot goes like, okay, I got to land this thing and I got to like turn it around and put it, you know, it's a place where the people walk out. But once we have self-driving cars, once we have that technology nailed, that's basically like, take it from the cars. Once it lands, you put it in the plane you know, and I know it's not that easy. I'm just kind of um, shortening it down, dumbing it down a little bit. But you get to a certain point where, like, it's landed. It's cool. It just has to follow these lines in order to get to the right terminal. And you might have to paint some certain things on the on the uh, runway or something. I'm not sure how they're going to do it using different technologies. But uh, 
you know, using scanning techniques to get the passengers to the actual terminal where they just walk out and that's it. It's all automatic, but you know, they're going to have people there. What if something happens? Right. So like, what if, what if the plane lands and it goes to the wrong terminal? Um, it has to turn around, has to do some things, has to get to a different point, has to avoid other planes, has to talk to other things in order to, you know, make sure that these people on the plane is, um, they're all safe. So that's where a pilot could still come in handy, you know, for a little while until they figure out that technology. Same with automatic truck driving. You know, the truck driver, the truck drives itself across the country. And for the last 20 miles or so, a guy jumps in there, a guy or girl jumps in there and takes it to its destination. There might be a station like a, a bus station or something sort of where like a bunch of drivers hang out all day long or whenever to, to pick up the last 20 miles and then drive it into its destination. Cause some of these things are really tricky. You know, some of these backups are really tricky in the, um, even, you know, in the back of, uh, these smaller alleyways and things that truck drivers have to get into now, they're very tricky. So maybe AI, AI isn't going to be there right away, but these truck drivers, they have unions and they make sure that everything's, you know, that these people will be employed for a while, which kind of pushes back against the technology, which is happening right now, which is like, all right, we're going to get this thing out there in 10 years. And the unions will be like, no, this is our, this is our stuff. Uh, we're going to have to keep our jobs. And eventually, Unfortunately, those jobs will be lost because robots will take over. It happened before. Who's going to feed the horses now that we don't have horse-drawn carriages? The guy that used to do it doesn't have a job anymore because we moved to cars. We moved to trucks. We don't need that person anymore. So that person lost their job because it's not needed. Same thing with the driver of a big truck. We might not need that person because, uh, we learned, we move forward from that, uh, from that profession. So it's, it's a similar thing. Technology, technology moves on, human beings move on and we have to adapt to our new surroundings. So when this all happens, artificial intelligence, artificial humans. That's going to be pretty cool too. You know, what happens with, uh, artificial life? You know, are these humans actually humans? Do they have a soul? Do they have a conscience? Do we, we program in a conscience? Is that a actual conscience? When we, when they die, what happens to them? They're just, you know, plastic and metal and they're not actual, you know, they don't have an actual brain. They have a computer chip that does brain like things, but not an actual brain brain like. So when they, you know, say what in what happens when, uh, a humanoid, I guess a robot, gets decommissioned. It's just a robot, whatever. That's just a helper. Uh, you can say the same thing about your gardener, right? He's just, he's just a helper guy. So what happens when he dies? He's, you know, everyone mourns his loss and, um, you know, eventually we move on. So 
like people will probably get attached to the robots. You know, when you get a you get attached to like I had a chameleon. I had a or uh what did I have? I had a, a little lizard. I used to live in Florida. A little bit north of the space coast. And I had a little lizard in my window. No idea what this lizard was. Little gecko guy. And eventually he died. He was in my windowsill. He never got out, but I named him. He was my little gecko guy. I forgot his name because it's been a while. It's been about 10 years, 15 years or so. But he passed away one day and he was no longer with us. But I mourned the loss of my gecko. That gecko, you know, basically ran on instinct. Mourned the loss of that gecko. Now the AI, the artificial human that we have that serves us dinner and goes to the store for us, shops for us, delivers things for us, does all the silly little tasks that we don't want to do. Um, when one, you know, gets decommissioned, I guess would be the best word for it, dies. Do we give them a burial? What do we do with them? What's the next thing? What do we do with those things? Do we just like put a new chip in it and it's all fine? Does it have a certain kind of memory? Does the map, does their memory live in the cloud? And if their memory lives in the cloud, do we just download it again? We put it in a new chip because that chip died. We put in a new chip and we re-download it. And it's a new it's the same being, but with a different heart. So when you get a organ transplant, you're the same thing, but you have a new liver. You have a new kidney. You know, your left ventricle is broken. You need a new one. Get a new one. You're the same person now. You have the same memories as you did before. You have the same consciousness as you did before. If an AI is so identical to a human that we can't distinguish him unless we know, I think we should treat uh, him as a person, even though we created it. Yeah. People treat their dogs and their cats like humans. I treat my dog like she's my buddy. You know, I call her my little buddy and she's my friend. You know, we've been through a lot together. She hangs out with me. We do cool stuff together. And uh, so if she can be, you know, uh, a friend to us. Why can't these AIs be friends to us as well? Why can't they all be the same thing? Why can't they go to baseball games with us? You know, why can't they go shopping with us? We have a shopping assistant. Now we have a buddy that we don't feel alone when we're in our driverless car. Do we take our AI with us? Be like, hey, uh, I just don't want to be alone today. I'm going to take my robot. Is that going to be a thing in the future? I don't think it's bad. Think about how many people are alone right now. How many people don't have anybody to talk to? And maybe these AI could be that other person that they could speak with. And maybe overcome some of the obstacles that they have in their life. So they can have a robot sitting right next to them on the couch as they're watching a movie. And this robot that looks identical to a human, acts like a human, you know, breathes like a human, not an actual breath because it's a robot, but 
has the, the mannerisms of a human, maybe eats popcorn, you know, something like that. Um, is that good for somebody or is that bad for somebody? Is it having a real friend or is it having a fake friend? Or can they use this robot to make themselves a better person so they can hang out with other people? A lot of people are, you know, they have other issues going on where they don't want to leave their home. They don't want to go outside. And maybe this is their way to interact with other people, sort of like what video games are to a lot of people. You can hang out and socialize and have a community of people through video games. You just put on your headset, sit in front of your mic, you know, play your, uh, play your games, talk to 10, 15, 20 people, whatever, have this group experience with a hundred people playing Fortnite. And then at the end, you all went through a war together. So you have a community. Now that's what we have right now. But what if there's a robot sitting right next to you with a controller playing Fortnite with you? Not Fortnite. It'll be a different game by then, but playing a game with you. And you have this common bonding experience with that robot. And then you use that experience to not feel so weird when you're around normal people, like actual people. Is that a thing that can happen in the future with AI? There's a lot of things that can happen. And it's all going to start. It's already started. You know, Tesla has their driverless cars. You know, you can, you can go to sleep in a Tesla. There was a case, you know, that I brought up yesterday of a person who uh, was asleep for, th for 30 miles in their car and Tesla's autopilot drove them around safely. So it's already happening to everybody. You know, Tesla is the first uh, kind of case where they've pushed everything forward and we are in the path of uh, AI for everything. So do you want a robot to shop for you? Or do you want to go to the store today? You know, do you want to go interact with regular people? Eh, I don't know. I just want to sit in the house and like, just hang out. I don't want to do anything today. I'll send my robot. Send my helper. You can just call it your helper. You don't need to name it. If you're one of those people where you're like, no, I don't want to name it Josh. You know, Josh isn't going to go to the store for me. Not today. You know, I'm going to go to the store today because I feel up to it. Or you can be like, all right, I'm going to send unit 22763 to the store for me because uh, I don't want to go. So your unit, or maybe the stores are going to be like Amazon. Amazon has freaking drones that are going to start delivering your stuff soon. How horrible does that sound? Drones are A, loud as hell, and B, they're pretty dangerous. If you can put your arm in a drone uh, propeller, you're going to get cut. You could cut a finger off. I have one. It's just like a toy that I got at Best Buy, but it's pretty powerful. And literally, if I, if I stuck my hand in between the props of that thing, my hand would have severe lacerations. So Amazon is, you know, they're, they're working on same day delivery with drones. And if they, 
if it actually starts happening, there's going to be drones everywhere. Things are going to be flying above us at all times. We're going to kind of lose sight of space and what's up. Because when we look up, we'll see drones, we'll see other things that will distract us. Because right now, every once in a while, you might see a plane or you might see, you know, the streak of a plane. But you don't see a lot of things flying around you. But in the near future, when things start happening like these drones, these delivery drones, uh, it's possible that maybe we're going to lose sight of what's up and we're going to be more concentrated on what's in front of us, which isn't really a bad thing, but it's also not a great thing. Because just go out on the street sometime and look at some people. Look at where they're looking. Right now they're looking down, they're looking forward. Not many of them kind of like stare up at the sky. I'm a weirdo. I've noticed that I look up a lot. I look up a lot. I go in my backyard and I take my dog out. And when I'm out there, I look. I don't look at the, at the trees. I don't look at the grass. I don't look at the things in my backyard. I look up into the sky. because I'm like, it's just a wonderful thing to see. Because I can see the other stuff anytime I want to. I can see my trees and I can see my, my yard and my grass. That's always going to be there. In the sky, that's someplace that I'm never going to go. So I, it's the, uh, I'm full of wonder in that sense. So if you could give me two minutes, the Cloud Appreciation Society. Yeah, man, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. Give me like two minutes. Speaking of that, I got to let my dog out. So just hang tight. I don't have any music for this, but I let my dog out. She's looking at me right now, all weird, like she has to go out. So give me about one minute. I'll be right back. All right, there we go. We're all good. <laughs> you found it. Chris, you did it. Chris, you did it. Awesome, man. Five likes. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> oh, it requires sending the keyboard down to see it. Oh, okay. That's cool. Say woof woof to your dog for me. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, she's uh, every once in a while, she's a little chihuahua. So <laughs> this is your, I will never forget it either. I'm happy for you, Chris. Um, she's a little chihuahua. So every hour she's like, she looks up at me and goes like, hmm, I got to pee again. Maybe not every hour, but pretty frequently. So AI is going to take over our lives. I work in a field. I worked, I should say. Now I do this full-time, full-time podcaster now. Um, also, if you like documentaries, I got to tell you this now, because thank you for that follow as well. Um, I partnered with MagellanTV.com. They are amazing. They have amazing documentaries about space, science, humanities. You can go to uh, MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. Let me post a link for you all. You get two months for free. Check that out. All the... Uh, documentaries you will ever want, science, 
natural world, history, human spirit, genres, biography, science, space, tech, mind and body, earth, nature, ancient history, early modern, current history, war and military, historical dramas, culture, crime, and mystery. There's huge amounts of stuff that you can listen to. Watch. I'm watching Birth of a Black Hole. I'm almost done with it. I'm piecing it together little by little. It's 25 minutes long. So every time I have an extra five minutes, I'll watch a little bit of it. And the narration alone of that show is amazing. Uh, but the, like the, the mass of black hole, the hugeness of a black hole in the way that they're formed is phenomenal. And it's terrifying. So if you're up for it, go to MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod and check it out. There's tons of space documentaries, by the way. It's like I, I'm scrolling through them right now. There's like six, about 30 or so space ones. So check them out. They're cool. And it's not like Netflix. You know, like uh, Netflix gets a documentary in and then it leaves. You know, maybe they'll have the license for a month two months, whatever. And then like, you don't get to see it again. Not on Magellan. They keep them forever. They produce a lot of them too. So take a look. Very cool stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I watch them all the time and I have another one that I'm watching the age of Hubble and there's 4k content too. So you can get really high quality stuff. Um, so yeah, thanks for checking that out. Everybody appreciate it. What else was I going to talk about today? Did you guys hear about Facebook's cryptocurrency? I was just looking at this. It's called Libra. You can't mine it like a Bitcoin. You have to buy it. Brady Heron. No, I'll check it out though. Check Brady out. Yeah, I'll check them out. Video journalist and filmmaker. Cool. I got his site. I'll check him out later. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. But, you know, like, I'm not really big into cryptocurrency, but I've... Um, <laughs> he has a chihuahua, too. I wonder what that's all about. Science people have chihuahuas. I kind of inherited mine from my brother. Uh, he had to leave for a little bit and like get out of town. Not get out of town. He's not like dodging anybody. But he <laughs> made him sound like, like, oh man, I gotta get out of town. Take my chihuahua. <laughs> no, it was, it was like, uh, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I gotta leave town because I have some other stuff to do. I gotta take care of some life stuff. Um, so he had to do that. And he's like, could you watch my dog for me? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. And then of course I'm like, you know, now I've kind of adopted her. So she's, you know, she sleeps in my bed. She's one of those dogs. Like she can't sleep alone. She'll, so she'll sneak up into my bed at night. You gotta get a chihuahua to be, maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's the prerequisite to becoming somebody in science. You need a chihuahua or a small yippy annoying dog. Maybe you don't need a chihuahua. <laughs> you had a landlord like that. They would crawl into your bed and sleep with you. 
Oh my, what kind of conversation are we having here? This just turned for, uh, <laughs> it was a weird turn. Um, so we're speaking of needy old men. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has, you know, him and a bunch of other really face or really face really rich people have put um, a bunch of money behind this cryptocurrency. So the thing is, it's backed by money. You'll be able to buy it and you can use it hopefully everywhere. They want to put it in apps. They want to make it available in Uber, um, Visa, like the, the credit card company has put money into this and each one of these companies put in $10 million. It's on the blockchain, just like Bitcoin. Um, it's similar to Bitcoin, but they control how much money is in the blockchain. Um, so, uh, Facebook is going to kind of rework this into all of their commerce. And they're going to allow small businesses to use this as a currency. So it's kind of like PayPal was in the beginning. So PayPal, when you first started, you had to back it with money, right? So you had a bank account or whatever, and you backed your PayPal account with your money. So instead of the money that you back, you don't back Libra. Well, I guess you do because you buy Libra, but um, it's backed by actual money. It's backed by tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe. Because each one of these things, uh, corporations gave a bunch of money to it. So it's kind of a weird situation where we're at the point where robots are taking over and we don't have real money anymore. We don't have fiat currency. We won't have paper money in the next, I think, 30 years paper money. I believe, I believe, I don't know. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to create more. I don't know what the white paper allows them to create more. Um, Ah, okay. So what they, what they also want to do is kind of take over where the banks left off. So people that don't have a bank account, right? People who can't have a bank account for some reason, usually what they do. And I've been in this situation before. I know what it's like. You buy a prepaid card, right? So you buy a prepaid visa, you pay the visa, you pay the people at the store, uh, 20 bucks for $20 on your visa card and you pay like a $3 fee or whatever to load it up. Been there and they give you a routing number and a, um, you know, a bank number, basically account number and a routing number for your card. So now you kind of have a bank account, kind of, sort of people can, can put money on your card. So that's what they want to do with this cryptocurrency. So instead of, and this is all over the world, they want people from all over the world that don't have a bank account to be able to use this currency to fund things, to buy goods and services. And, um, I don't, I'm not quite sure if they can add more money to it in the future. 
I'm just looking. There's will be fewer fees. Um, founding members paid a minimum of ten million. Um, founding members of the association in their industries include Mastercard, PayPal, PayU, Stripe, and Visa. Those are big, big names. Uh, booking, booking holdings, eBay, Facebook, Farfetch, Lyft, uh, Mercado Pago. I don't know what that is, but that's something else. Spotify, Uber, uh, Vodafone. There's other blockchain companies, Anchorage, Bison Trails, Coinbase, uh, Zappo Holdings, Venture Capital, uh, and Racine Horowitz, I don't know who that is. Breakthrough Initiatives, Ribbit Capital, Thrive Capital, Union Square Ventures, uh, Kiva, Mercy Corps, Women's World Banking, and Creative Destruction Lab. So these are all companies and organizations that have put money into this already. Libra Governments, Governance, who gets a vote? To join the association's members must have a half rack of server space, a 100 MBPS or above dedicated internet connection, a full-time site reliability engineer, and enterprise-grade enterprise security. Businesses must hit two of three thresholds of a billion-dollar USD market value or $500 million in customer balances, reach 20 million people a year, and or be recognized as a top 100 industry leader by a group like Interbrand Global or the S&P. What the heck? So there's these are big corporations, big companies that are in charge of your money. Thank you, Stephen, for those four likes. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's a lot of companies that have given a lot of money to this thing. So that being said, they're in control of <laughs> like donate to Trump or buying weed. I'm not sure because right now people can buy anything with Bitcoin or XMR or any other digital currency, you know, cryptocurrency. You can buy whatever you want. And most of it's not tracked. Is this going to be tracked? You know, do they, are, is your real name associated with this account? Cause some things like, I don't need anybody to know what I buy, you know, my credit card, my debit cards, they know what I buy sort of, you know, they know that I bought $22 from, you know, some store from Starbucks yesterday. They don't know what was on the list though. What was on the receipt? Do they? You know, do they know, they know everything about me though. They track me. So is this another way for everybody to track everybody through their digital currency? Probably. What do they do with that? They market to you. They're going to track it. They're going to market to you. So if I go to Starbucks a lot, I buy a lot of coffee. I'm going to get more ads for Starbucks. I might get ads for Dunkin' Donuts. I might get ads for Starbucks at home. I might get ads for a Starbucks coffee maker. I might get you know, coffee maker ads, things like that. Right. And then what happens if, you know, what happens if something down the line, like you buy an immoral purchase, 
Right? You buy something, quote, immorally. What if you buy, I don't know, like, let's say in, in general, what if you buy something immoral, they think is immoral, I should say. Um, then can they block you? Do they, do they have the ability to secure your, quote, secure your account? What kind of account is it? Is it just your account? Do you have access to the blockchain where your money is? And if so, can you get any money you want anytime you want? And can the federal government seize that money because it's not actually in a bank? So that's the thing you got to think about when when these things happen, when there's a you know a new technology that comes out. Why are they doing it? Are they doing it to control you? Thank you for that follow, Chef Plays. Um, are they doing it to control the narrative? Are they doing it to sell you ads? Facebook is in this to sell you ads. They're not in this for the for the benefit of humanity. You know, maybe this is one of those things like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna help out some people that don't have bank accounts that can't really, you know, move money around that fast or that easily. So maybe that's part of it. But also, oh, cool, Will just bought a new car. Okay, we're gonna sell him. Uh, motor oil and you know within six months we're going to sell him motor oil uh, window washing fluid etc etc put that on the ad list for will who in turn will buy some of the stuff with the uh, the cryptocurrency that he's using via facebook yeah i'm not gonna do that dude (laughs) i'm not gonna sign up for this thing i am not gonna put my money into this it is not it doesn't sound safe it doesn't sound secure facebook is part of this it sounds like a horrible horrible idea you know prove me wrong that's i'm gonna give it five years see what they track see how people are being tracked see what kind of data they're getting and you know after that amount of time you know, if they're not collecting anything, then maybe, because I know my information is getting sold anyway, anything I do, like people know that I have a podcast. Okay, so cool. They'll try to sell me microphones. Like I've got uh, microphone ads on, you know, Google results because I searched for microphones on Amazon and it was a specific microphone that I was searching for on Amazon that showed up in my Google results. So I was like, this is absolutely terrifying that people know this much about me, even if they know that much. And I'm not like a weirdo. It's like, I'm just a hermit up in the woods in a cabin someplace with a cane and a long beard. Leave me alone, children. I'm not that guy. I'm out there. I'm doing stuff. But, and I like, I'm pretty public, but people, you know, building a shopping profile for me. What else are they building a profile for? You know, I buy gas, certain gas stations. I drive around. I have GPS on my phone, you know, on Google maps. Are they making a profile for, um, are they making a profile for everything that I do when I go out, when I get out in a boot, you know, they are. They're definitely doing that. Google's definitely doing that. They see that I go to Dunkin' Donuts every day. 
You know, I get my my morning coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Of course, I'm going to get ads for Dunkin' Donuts. I'm already there, man. I'm already there. So, you know, if I search for something on Google, you know, rental cars, because I'm going to be taking a trip to, um, I'm going to be taking a trip to Florida when SpaceX launches the first American humans back to the International Space Station. I'm trying to get money from that or for that um, gathered up, right? So I'm trying to make some money to get there. And by doing this podcast, I have one sponsor, uh, Magellan TV, and I also have a Patreon. So if anybody's willing and able to help out with Patreon, I'm going to link it now. And all this money goes back to the podcast in some way, shape, or form. Like the microphone that I'm using right now is a Rode Podcaster mic. I got that mainly because of advertisers and also from Patreon patrons. So if you feel it in your heart of hearts to support my next venture, which is a live podcast of a SpaceX launch from Cape Canaveral, that will be launching human beings from uh, U.S. soil in a U.S. rocket to the International Space Station, hit it up on Patreon. You are amazing. All my Patreon patrons are absolutely amazing and have helped me out tremendously in this journey that I've had with this podcast. So just listening now is one of the best ways that you can help, by the way. So anybody that's listening right now, if, um, you know, I'm looking for advertisers and I'm just going to be like down, down and dirty with you. Like the more people that listen, the more advertisers I get, the more money I get from advertisers. And you don't make a lot of money podcasting, but the more people that listen, the more broadcasters uh, or more uh, advertisers will come along. Thank you, Connor, for that applause. Yeah, those things too. Stars, stars really help a ton too. So any sort of uh, initiative is really great. Just share it, you know, share it with your friends or whatever. That's really great too. And just being here, like I said before, just the support that you've shown me is really, really great. Um, so I also have a <laughs> GoFundMe, which isn't quite set up yet. So I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to save that for another day because it's just, it's kind of janky right now. And I got to set it all the way up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that for that cryptocurrency. Whew. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, we have a lot of people here right now um, and everybody that's interested in space and science and tech, like this is awesome that everyone's here for that reason and that we can discuss this. So I want to say thank you to all of you for being interested in that stuff. Your Facebook account got deleted. I tried to get them to explain why they just send me a link to a list of rules and could cause your account to be banned. It's really unfair and it makes me mad to be excluded. That's the problem. Right? So you get, they have the power. You don't have any power over what they can and cannot do. I mean, you have to go by the rules, which I understand. You know, that's why you use their platform because you're like, okay, I can use, I, you know, I can use the platform if I, if I stay within the rule set. And that's cool. You know, you have to, like anything else, you have to obey the rules. Like if you go into a store, you got to obey the rules in the store, or you'll get kicked out. 
Uh, but it sucks that they can just kind of do that without any explanation. Be like, hey, you're being a jerk. You got to leave, you know. And if you didn't know what you did, then that sucks even more. Maybe you can, can you appeal it somehow? <laughs> I posted yesterday um, to Elon Musk. I said, when you send a plant to Mars on a SpaceX rocket, will that plant be cannabis? Would that be legal? And Dennis O'Brien, who has the Twitter handle Moon Treaty, said the laws of the launching state control what is legal for that mission. If a SpaceX mission launched from U.S., U.S. law would apply. Might get down to which state it was launched from. California, okay. Florida, not. But who is going to check the payload? <laughs> Dennis, you get a follow back for that. That Spacetreaty.org. Space Treaty Project. Sign the petition. The Space Treaty Project has started an online petition asking the United States Senate to ratify the Moon Treaty. To read the details in considering signing, please go here. The mission of the Space Treaty Project is to restore humanity's hope for the future by providing an alternative to the wars, violence, and neglect that have dominated our history. We'll do so by educating the public about the Moon Treaty, a.k.a. the agreement governing the activities of states on the moon and other celestial bodies. Cool, man. Good for you. That's what we need. Thank you, DJ, for that, for those four likes. Bacteria in space thoughts? It's possible. There's no due process, right? Yeah, that's what sucks, Chris. There's no due process. You can't really do anything. They're, you're at their will. You know, and they, they explicitly say you're not allowed to appeal. Well, so make another account. <laughs> like, what are they going to do? Don't play by, you know, if you're going to play by the rules. And they won't let you appeal your first account. Just make another account and be like, it's me, but whatever. That's my, you know, I would probably, if I needed it that much, you know, if I needed all my friends around, just make a new account and you're going to get around it. Just don't let anybody know who you are. Use, use the system. Don't abuse the system. And then with this new account, just, you know, do your thing. You're always, so, you know, you're always welcome back into a group in real life. You know, no matter how much you messed up, as long as you say, Hey man, I'm sorry. I messed up so bad. And this is why I messed up. You're allowed back into that group as humanity. we that's one of our rules. So you can, <clears throat> you should in theory be able to get back into a group. If you say, Hey man, I messed up. I'm sorry. This is why, you know, I'd like to be part of that group again. So that's, it's kind of weird that social groups like that don't allow you to, uh, to appeal it. Um, so anyway, if you're, like I said before, here's, here's the Patreon. I'm going to take off in a couple seconds here. Here's my Patreon account. If you like this content, I do it every single day. I also do it on my other podcast, which is, it's called space news pod, but it is a regular podcast. And it's like 10 minute hits every single day. Here's where you can check this out. Adam. Hello. You can check out my regular podcast like that. Thank you for those likes. Appreciate it. Connor and Demeter. So that's my 10 minute 
per day podcast. It's not as conversational. It's more straight to the point. Let's get this thing done. Let's do some space stuff. Can I watch that podcast on Castbox? You can. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a video one. It's just regular. Um, I know Steven, I know I don't have time though. Unfortunately, I have to take my dad downtown. I went a little bit over search for space news pod. If you want to listen to it on uh Castbox as well as the regular one. I know I went over and I apologize. I will have a, a call in portion tomorrow. Um, no worries, man. I don't mind. I don't mind. Uh, but I'll do some Collins tomorrow for you guys. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta take the old man downtown. got to go to the grocery store and we got to do real life things. So my friends, thank you for taking the time out of your day to spend it here with me on the space news live podcast. Make sure to follow, make sure to send a, billion stars my way so I can fund my trip to uh, Florida <laughs> and share the podcast, of course. Ah, oh, sounds good, Chris. Maybe we'll, maybe that'll be another topic. That'll be, that'll be awesome for another uh, topic of a show. So I will see you all later. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to spend it here. Thanks for the applause. Thanks for all the hearts. Thanks for all the likes. Thanks for the new fans. Thanks for listening. Sorry I didn't get to your calls, but I have to go take the old man downtown. So I will see you later. Have a great day, everybody.